Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. Look, if you have a really persistent observation about a dysfunction in the business that you work in and they don't want to hear it, what the hell are you doing in that job? The caretaking you're doing of them is really caretaking you because you don't want to find a place that you, where you actually belong. Whether you're right or wrong, you don't belong there. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. This is the final episode in a three-part series on how to apologize. We've already discussed non-apologies and the emotional role of shame in the process. Now we discuss the anatomy of a good apology. Now this doesn't just include apologies to others. We also discuss a personal lack of ownership for our own efforts and the importance of taking responsibility for our actions when holding ourselves accountable. This episode is from a recent weekly member webcast. For more information about the many benefits of clear and open membership and how to get the help you need in conversations just like this, please go to clearandopen.com. Thanks so much for listening. Now let's dive in. To uh, Thomas's question about like a personal problem, where did we land on that? Is, like, is it the same? Similar. Well, this is like when a coach says, uh, you know, if someone's like, well, yeah, I had that latte again yesterday and I told myself I wasn't going to do that. Someone who is working with such a person, if they feel that the person's not really feeling the impact or intuit, they're not really feeling the impact, they might ask a question like, so, you know, if you keep spending $5 on a latte every day, what's going to happen in 12 months? And they'll say, well, I'll never get to go on that vacation I planned. That's feeling the impact. You can do that with yourself, right? Yesterday, I failed. Um, and this is me, not an example. I actually failed yesterday to I have an agreement with myself to practice guitar at least 15 minutes every day. Yesterday, I failed to do that. This morning, I woke up and realized I failed to do that. I was tired. I told myself I didn't have time. I had 15 minutes. Who doesn't have 15 minutes for something? I forgot the minimum 15-minute rule, Right? So then I think, okay, and I think of my dream of being a great guitarist and how skipping an entire day isn't going to get me there. And I see myself on that stage playing that song and then poof, it disappears. And I go, oh, yesterday I did not move toward that goal. I moved away from it. And I make sure I feel that. That's what you can do with yourself. It's obviously much easier if you have someone else helping you or it's more painful and you hate it, but still productive when someone else is helping you. Okay. This goes back to this. This is sort of the, 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 the metaphysics and the principles behind accountability, accountability itself. See, everybody avoids accountability because it's painful and it's squirmy. But you see, when you start to look at it through this lens, that's pain that causes gain. It's good bad feeling, you know, it feels bad, but it's productive to feel. But if you don't make the distinction between shame and guilt or shame and remorse, then you'll throw the whole baby out of the bathwater. And you can spend your whole life distinguishing between shame and remorse. That's really tricky. 
Okay, let's go on uh, with the other pieces. Explore root causes. So you already know about root causes from troubleshooting problems. And this is no different. What, what really happened? So like mistakes were made and it was the Iraq war. Well, I'd want to know, how did this happen again? That wasn't congressional approval of that war, right? There was no two-thirds declaration of war thing for the Iraq war, right? I don't think so. Hasn't been since uh, 1941. Yeah, since World War, World War War II. So there's a really interesting underlying cause because that's like, it's like forget Constitution, I believe, right? If not Bill of Rights, Constitution, the Constitution says there's no wars without two-thirds congressional vote. And yet we've certainly dropped a lot of bombs since then. So in integrity, let's either change the rule <laughs> to whatever they're doing now you know, you see, it's just crap. There's no responsibility there. Either change the rule and say, well, we think that the founding fathers were wrong about that two-thirds vote thing with war. And we think, you know, we should be able to invade for these reasons instead, you know, because we feel like it. And because communism is coming to get us, or there might be weapons of mass destruction, we heard someone say, or whatever, <laughs> whatever. There's no integrity in that, right? So the, one of the root causes of these uh, invasions that people are often apologizing for later is that, is that the rule is not being followed, right? But if you were to actually explore that, well, a lot of people, you know, then what would happen to my, um, uh, my Honeywell and uh, General Dynamics stocks and my Boeing investments, you know? Well, think about all those jobs that would be lost, not making those bonds, you know, that could hurt the economy and, and what about all the lobby money and yada, yada, yada. So those are the root causes that people don't want to look at. So root causes on a personal level relate to themes, relate to shadow. Now, it could be what you're apologizing for was sort of a one-off thing. But if, for example, you dropped a ball and misscheduled a meeting, if you have a history of holding things in your head, even though you have a lot of tools for being organized, but you're not using them, then the root cause is your chronic overwhelm. And that's really, really useful. So like dropping balls or being late, this kind of stuff. Do you see how important it is to get really upset with yourself? Oh, I was late again. Oh, I dropped a ball again. I don't like that. Oh, look at this whole room of people was inconvenienced by me showing up late. You feel that. And you dislike the feeling of that. That spurs you to change. And then you go, ah, oh, what's the underlying cause that is causing, that is making this a pattern? That's what happens in the explore root causes. How is this a pattern? Well, my disorganization. Well, is it causing any other problems? Probably. And then you feel those things. You go on that journey. I would argue that any persistent problem, any pattern of events, the undesirable events that you're struggling with is because you haven't done one of these steps in a remorseful way, in the expression of ownership way. You know, you haven't gotten really clear about what it is. Probably that's not true for most of you by now, but you haven't really felt the impact all the way. You know, when it's nine o'clock at night and I'm exhausted and I'm looking at my guitar case going, oh man, I can't do it. 
what makes this, what makes me pick it up or not in that moment is the feeling in my heart of how much does my dream matter to me? And am I going to walk upstairs and go to sleep and let it go poof? Or am I going to buy, am I going to believe that voice in, my head, voice in my head that says, oh, it doesn't matter. It's just one day. You can make a case for either. Which case do you choose in that moment? That, that, that happens at the level of heart, I would say. In your, your heartful relationship to your own dream and your own responsibility for following through and pursuing it. Okay, let me catch up on some text questions. Ed asks, how would you suggest bringing attention to someone in authority about their lack of ownership when it comes to apologizing? You mean someone who is the authority? Bringing to someone who has authority over you? Oh, yeah, and then, yeah. With a ton of excess respect and uh, often a precursor testing the water question. Hey, if I had an observation, you say to your boss, for example, so if I had an observation about uh, something I didn't think you were taking responsibility for, would you be open to hearing that? In one way, it's a bullshit question because what are they going to say? No, right? <laughs> they say, no, find another job as quickly as you can. But it's a, it's a respectful question because leaders get blindsided a lot. They get ambushed a lot. So it's a, it's a respectful thing to do to say, hey, something uncomfortable is about to happen here. Is now an okay time? And then it gives them the freedom to say, you know what? I really want to know, but I could tell right now is not a good time. Can we talk about this in our meeting tomorrow? Cool, right? They get to stay in control and empowered and all that. Because if you've never been in a position of power and received critical feedback, back to what we were talking about before, it's not easy. It's a very tricky thread the needle kind of thing to fully admit your fault without collapsing your authority. I still have trouble with it. And I've been practicing it for a really long time. It's really not easy at all. Because if you, if you admit too much fault or admit it in a way that collapses your authority, then it, it erodes the respect the person has for you. And then you're not actually serving that person as a leader. That's the truth about I need to appear strong. There's a, there's a truth to that. You got to hold, you can't collapse into a pile of a, a muddy mess. And go, I'm so sorry. I'm a terrible leader. You can't do that, right? You'll lose all the respect of your employee. You're serving them in one way. And yes, that's, that's the mistakes were made thing. That the, the truth is I need to be a leader here and I can't just become a pile of tears. And then they take that truth too far and use it as a justification for not taking responsibility. So it's not easy. This you would learn like your senior year in high school to do that after a few years of practicing at the peer level. But the good news is like you, you can own a little too much and, and collapse a little bit or not own enough as an authority. And you'll, you'll realize later, the next day you'll wake up and you're like, boy, that one thing where I said, where I talked about how it affected my addiction to ice cream. I don't know why I shared that. That was weird. My employee didn't need to know about my addiction to ice cream. Why did I say that? It's not, not usually fatal. And if you didn't own enough, you'd go back to them and say more. You know? So it's, you're going to do it badly for a really long time. Um, that, it's, that's how it is with any skill. Uh, and if you're worried about losing your job, then you start with, hey, I have something to tell you and I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job if I tell you this. What's so hard about that? What are they going to say? Okay, well, let me get out my pink slip here, make just in case, you know. <laughs> Why don't, here's a box for your desk, just in case it uh, 
which you need to pack up after you say this. You just name it. It vulnerabilizes the whole conversation. What typically happens instead, instead of being vulnerable, the person's feeling the fear of, oh my God, I might lose my job. And then instead of naming it, they repress it and then overly aggressively say the thing to the authority figure because they're like, they're aggre- the part of the aggression is to push down the fear they have. And then it comes out really badly because it's coming from fear that hasn't been named. You see, that's what you don't want to do. Well, it's so in this example, even if you name it, it's still a fear that's there. It, that could theoretically happen. Like with your reporter and uh, the president example from last week. Uh-huh. So is there any getting over that, that fear that happening? Or? Is, there a, is there a way to make the fear go away? <laughs> no. Is there a way to mitigate the fear's influence on how you bring it? Yeah, by, by naming it and not being it. Now, that sounds really easy, of course. Um, but the most important thing is, is like you let yourself feel it and you're transparent and vulnerable about it. You know, that does quite a lot. If you're really feeling that you might lose your job by bringing this thing to the person and you say that and you still muscle over it and are aggressive, I, I, I never see that. that. I mean, that's the way to defuse that. Because you can't be muscularly and angrily bringing truth to someone if, you're, if you've named that they have the power to dramatically change your life if you piss them off. But don't take my word for it. Give it a try. Excess respect. Permission to speak freely, sir? That's what that is, right? I'm not suggesting you say that. I'm just saying that's, that's what that is. It, it honors the roles. You definitely don't do it in front of other people, right? That's kind of obvious. That's definitely disrespecting. So another thing kind of along those lines is like what's what's the appropriate amount of um, times to bring something like that to an authority figure within a given period? Like, can you just go rat-a-tat-tat-tat? <laughs> I mean, there's also the possibility that you're wrong. Uh, so, I mean, you want to have meta to that, like, you know, one thing I like to do is I'll say, Hey, I know I, I got, I got to bring this uncomfortable truth again, and it feels really weird. And this is totally uncomfortable for me. I brought this up a couple of times before. Can you tell me like where I am on a scale of one to 10, 10 being you're going to fire me for it. And one being like, I'm not advocating at all for my perspective. You know, sometimes when I when I'm working with a manager and and their employee at the same time, uh, I'll ask each of them where they think they are on that scale, and that's something you can do with the person you report to, or the person who reports to you. Uh, how you know? Okay, you brought this to me a couple of times. How close do you are? Uh, do you think you are to being fired about this for like nagging or harassing or uh, what's the word? Uh, insubordination, right? Usually the people are the numbers are very far away. Usually the employee is operating a lot from fear and not really advocating for their truth. And usually the boss actually needs and wants to be pushed a lot harder. Not always, but because most people are under truth tellers, not over truth tellers, and most people let fear run their lives unduly, this is the case. 
about 80% of the time, I'd say. But if you're not sure, ask. That's the magic of meta. Meta, it's free. You can have as much as you want. So just take some meta because there's an infinite supply and it's free. You want a subscription to meta? I'll send you 10 pounds of meta every week to your door. Maybe there's a business there. It's just a box with nothing in it. (laughs) Free shipping. Yes. Free shipping, free returns. No, that could be problematic. People start sending back and sending back empty boxes that could get expensive. As a joke, I don't want meta. I want my fusion to my paradigm and my beliefs. I don't want any meta this week. I want to think I'm completely right about everything. So here, you got to pay six bucks for me to send it back to you. (laughs) We'll do small boxes because it's under pressure. It's 10 gallons of meta, but under a lot of pressure fits in a tiny little ring size box. Okay. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah. So you take the meta that is free, that's delivered to your door, and you go, hey, I'm really afraid to tell you something. Really, every week, tell your boss that you're afraid to tell them something and then tell them. It's really quite amazing. And if you're in an intimate relationship, that's what keeps it alive. In case you didn't know. If you want to kill your intimate relationship or your professional relationship, then those feelings that you're afraid to talk about, never share them. That's the best way to kill a relationship. I don't know any way faster. Maybe adultery. (laughs) That's a little bit faster, maybe. That's sort of the acute version. The chronic version is keeping those little secrets. I felt this when you did that. Oh, no, no. I don't need to share that. I don't need to share that. I don't need to share that. 30 years later, where's all the passion in our relationship? I don't know. Where does it go? That's where it goes. Because when you don't share your truth, you're not sharing you. And if you're not sharing you, you're actually not relating. And if you're not relating, the passion dies. That's where it goes. So paradoxically, because the parallel here is really apt, paradoxically, risking the relationship, risking a divorce, risking losing your job is the very thing that makes it alive. Goes back to that whole not keeping or holding tight to things. Yes. How often that comes up. Look, if you have a really persistent observation about a dysfunction in the business that you work in or something your boss is doing wrong and you're right about it, and they don't want to hear it, what the hell are you doing in that job? You're wasting your time. So the caretaking you're doing of them is really caretaking you because you don't want to find a place that you, where you actually belong. Whether you're right or wrong, you don't belong there. You know. So go and find a group of people that you resonate with whose, whose values resonate with you, where yeah, that's where you should want to work. Unless you want to suffer, in which case you should stay exactly where you are and keep those secrets and die a slow death over 30 years doing a job that doesn't fulfill you. Completely up to you. I would say I don't have a judgment about which you choose, but that would be a lie. (laughs) Maybe one day. But it's okay. I I really think, like, okay, maybe you're not ready for that. It's cool. Okay, last two steps. We'll do quickly assess personal accountability. In this case, in the case of remorsifying, there shouldn't be a whole lot more to do if you've 
You know, I mean, maybe there's some complexity to that, but you're saying, hey, this is on me, but you want to make sure you name all of the different contributions. You covered some of that in the explore the root causes thing. Oh, this is the shadow aspect of me that, that, and don't say the devil made me do it. Don't say my shadow did this. I let the shadow do this. I dropped the ball. I'm not using tools. I have whatever that is. Um, there may be some nuances of, of personal accountability that you explore there. But I think in this case, there's not a whole lot more for step four. It should have already been taken care of. And very importantly, realize small next steps. What are you going to do to make sure this doesn't happen again? What are you already doing? What steps are you taking? This is to me where justice really comes home because it's like every time a bank or an insurance company screws up, I have to stop myself from being like, I want a, I want a copy of the internal investigation that you guys did as a result of... Because if you did this with me, I know the same kind of thing is happening with 100 people a day at this giant institution. Tell me what you come up with. And then I have to tell the aspect of me that thinks he's the general manager of the universe. This isn't my problem. Relax. He's like, but it's just going to happen again. Yeah, I know. Hey, is, uh, is this bank paying you to consult them? No. Then do you want to be free or do you want to be right? <laughs> is the question I ask him. He goes, free. Sometimes that takes a couple of days. Sometimes it takes a couple of minutes. But um, that's what you should want as the receiver of the remorse is, okay, what are, you, what are you doing about it? Show me the results. Show me this is going to be different. And this is what we don't get with politicians. When the thing, They definitely don't give us this. As politicians, this is the step they do the worst. They could be very sorry, but they don't tell you what they're going to actually do to make sure it doesn't happen again. Well, that, why? Because that would produce real change. And we can't have that. Thank you. Yeah, GM of the Universe is a cool title. He's proud of it. GMU. He's the GMU. Why? Who made him that? He did, of course. Because the GMU can give the title of GMU. See how clever it is? I think I'm going to demote him in the next half hour. Yeah, assert my authority. Because if he can appoint himself that, I'll just merge with the universe and say... The universe says it doesn't need a manager. Isn't it astonishing how bad we are as a species at apologizing? Of course, now you've got some bad news. Now you know how to do it. So you can't not apologize well anymore in integrity because all you have to do is remember C-L-E-A-R. And then the GMU in me goes, ha, 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 I did it. (laughs) I'm just playing with you guys. We're also the, the best species at apologizing, unfortunately. So. In what way? Well, I don't know of any other species that apologizes to their kind. Oh, touche, Thomas. <laughs> Excellent observation. So, yeah, we're leading the way. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Be sure to visit clearandopen.com for the latest tools, articles, and free resources to help you on your journey. Thanks for listening and bye for now.